Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo. She is our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. She's up in Madison, Wisconsin right now. It'll be interesting to hear what she has to say. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And we'll visit with Erica Donald. She is the founder and president of Optima Education Foundation, doing a terrific job helping to put together charter schools across the state of Florida. It is June the 9th, and on this day in 1856, in an extraordinary demonstration of resolve and fortitude, nearly 500 members of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, often referred to as Mormons, left Iowa City and head west for Salt Lake City, carrying all their goods and supplies and two-wheeled handcarts. Of all the thousands of pioneer journeys to the West in the 19th century, few were more arduous than those undertaken by the so-called handcart companies from 1856 to 1860. The secular and religious leader of the religious sect, Brigham Young, had established Salt Lake City as the center of the new Utah Sanctuary for the Latter-day Saints in 1847. In subsequent years, Young worked diligently to encourage and aid members who made the difficult overland trek to the Great Salt Lake. In 1856, however, a series of poor harvests left the church with only a meager fund to help immigrants buy wagons and oxen. Young suggested a cheaper mode of travel. Let them come on foot with handcarts or wheelbarrows. Let them gird up their loins and walk through the... uh, and nothing shall hinder or stay them. Amazingly, many members of the church followed his advice. On June the 9th, 1856, the band of 497 left Iowa City, Iowa. It began the more than 1,000-mile trek to Salt Lake City. They carried all their goods in about 100 two-wheeled handcarts, most of which were heaped with maximum load of four to 500 pounds. Each family usually had one cart, and the father and mother took turns pulling, while the children old enough would help by pushing. The handcart immigrants soon ran into serious problems. The craftsmen who made and constructed the handcarts back in Iowa City had uh, chosen to use wooden axles instead of iron in order to save time and money. Sand and dirt quickly wore down the wood and water and heat made the axles splinter and crack. As the level train of the prairies gave way to the more rugged country of the plains, the sheer physical challenge of hauling a 500-pound cart began to take its toll. One British immigrant who was a skilled carpenter wrote of having to make three coffins in, in as many days. Some of the pilgrims gave up. Two girls and one handcart uh, left to marry a pair of uh, miners they'd met along the way. The majority, however, struggled on and eventually reached Salt Lake's uh, Valley. Over the course of the next four years, some 3,000 converts made the overland journey by pushing and pulling heavy-laden cart handcarts. Better planning and the use of iron axles made the subsequent immigrations slightly easier than the first, and some actually made the journey more quickly than had they used uh, ox-drawn wagons. Still, once the church finances had recovered, Young's followers returned to using conventional wagons. The handcart treks remained nonetheless uh, nothing less than heroic. One girl later estimated that she and her family had each taken over a million steps to reach their goal, pushing and pulling a creaking wooden handcart the entire way. Amazing story, isn't it? Uh, Salt Lake City, the home of the Mormons, 1856, pulling handcarts a thousand miles across uh, to their destination. Well, a little update on COVID-19 here on the Paradise Coast, 2,070 uh, cases of COVID-19, 56 deaths, and 250 hospitalized. These numbers aren't jumping dramatically. However, there are 971 Hispanic and 900 Mockley, just such a small community. Having almost half of the cases uh, is kind of the hotspot income for COVID-19. Here's some interesting and maybe encouraging news. The percentage of Minnesota residents who have been tested for the novel coronavirus and have tested positive since the beginning of the pandemic has declined dramatically over the past two weeks from 10.4% on Sunday to 8.1% on Sunday the 7th. 
that's May 24th to June, uh, June 7th. The decline has uh, come despite 13 days of riots and protests involving thousands of people who ignored public health social distancing guidelines in Minneapolis-St. Paul in the aftermath of the death of George which, of course, happened on Monday, May the 25th. During the 14-day period beginning May 25th and ending Sunday, June 7th, the uh, percentage of those tested for COVID-19 who uh, tested positive in Minnesota plunged to 5%. That's pretty amazing statistics. Now, the Minnesota Department of Health did report that the, uh, it's going to take a couple of weeks for all this to fall out. We'll probably, they think, see an increase in cases. But nevertheless, that is encouraging news, isn't it? Kind of a petri dish of what's going to happen if you don't have social distancing. Maybe the pandemic is over. Maybe this is the first evidence or at least another indicator that it might be. Well, financial markets had a good day yesterday. The Dow was up 461 points yesterday, and it actually was chugging up at the end of the day, which is a good sign. However, futures are down about 300 right now. I don't know what's uh, why the futures are down right now. I couldn't find any information, aside from the fact that some earnings reports are coming out and perhaps not meeting estimates. Well, this was just so encouraging and actually settling uh, to hear Attorney General Barr, his talk with uh, Brett Berry yesterday, confirmed that focused investigations are underway that relate to Antifa and far-left group that President Trump has sought to designate as a terrorist organization. He said it's a loosely organized group and they have an unusual system of communication and organization, he said. There are people who can be characterized as leaders in any given situation. Uh, also, in a wide-ranging interview, Barr harshly criticized efforts to defund police departments, argued that some jurisdictions have gone too far and their coronavirus lockdown restrictions, and defended the U.S. Park Police's decision to clear Lafayette Park ahead of the visit of the president, a move that came, Barr told Bear, after the attorney general himself was targeted with rocks and other projectiles. So uh, what I really appreciate about uh, this conversation is he said, look, I'm, we're not going to target uh, Antifa. We're targeting the people that created this mischief and uh, this violence and looting. And uh, whether they're part of Antifa or some other group, basically we're going to focus on those that committed uh, these atrocities. Determining who is behind the protests has become a top priority for the DOJ and a political football. In the meantime, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice has claimed uh, the Russians could be involved. Well, maybe. Uh, Minnesota off officials have blamed out-of-state white supremacists, despite evidence showing that the arrested individuals are overwhelmingly local. They appear to be sources of funding. And uh, we're looking into the sources of funding, Barr said. And, you know, there is clearly some high degree of organization involved at some of these events and coordinated tactics that we're seeing. And we're looking into that as well, he said. And some of it relates to an Antifa. Some of it relates to groups that act very much like Antifa. And as I said, there's a witch's brew of extremist groups that are trying to exploit the situation on all sides, said uh, Attorney General Barr. Uh, protests near the White House, Barr observed, had become so violent, the Secret Service moved Trump to the bunker underneath the White House, the man which was included the burning of St. John's Church and the harassment and assault of a Fox News reporter necessitated action, Barr said, even though some media organizations have said that Lafayette Park was cleared solely for Trump's photo op near the church. He said the image has somewhat been miscreated in a sense that I haven't seen any videos on TV of all the violence that was happening preceding that, Barr said. I personally saw projectile stone and two were thrown at me and the police officers there. And my security detail made me move back because they said the projectiles had been landing in certain area, things like rocks, bottles, and were thrown at me. So, uh, again, a very reassuring, reassuring comments from uh Attorney General Barr certainly seems to be aware of what's going on. He's going to track down the uh, miscreants that uh, created all this havoc in Washington, D.C. and across the nation. And I, I'm encouraged by the fact that he wants to seek out the, those that are funding uh, these operations because clearly there is money in direction behind all of this. 
Well, Democrat lawmakers led by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are facing overwhelming backlash after opting to wear Kenty cloth during their nearly nine-minute moment of silence in the show against police brutality. Many users across social media questioned their motives and blasted them for missing the mark. Uh, she and fellow Democrat lawmakers, including Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Chuck Schumer, took a knee on Monday for 8 minutes and 46 seconds as a show of solidarity with Americans protesting police brutality, remembering those who have died, including George Floyd, Michael Brown, and Trayvon Martin. Uh, Democrats could be seen kneeling in unison with uh, most wearing Kenty cloth, a special fabric with deep and meaningful origins rooted in West Africa. Well, <laughs> they they took a lot of havoc, a, a lot of grief for that. It, what was really amusing to me, I probably shouldn't laugh at this because the woman is 80 years old, but Nancy Pelosi couldn't get up and she needed <laughs> help from getting off her knees. Uh, somewhat of the optics of it were pretty ridiculous, and they're getting a lot of backlash uh, for wearing uh, this Kenty fabric as well. You can't make this stuff up. By the way, they're working on a bill for a police reform bill. God help us. Again, a reassuring comments from uh, Attorney General Barr that perhaps he sees that the police need to remain in place and just maybe a little bit more training. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional uh, New York-style theater at its very best. And the new season is out. Productions are uh, scheduled, and uh, you can get tickets now by going to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. So I understand we have an important deadline coming up this Friday. That's right. For those people on the 2020 ballot, Friday is qualifying day. And so there's just a lot of chatter about uh, the the races, uh, particularly the, the uh, Senate and House, um, because, the, you know, their strategy is being employed. The uh, Democrats, for example, have decided they're going to put a, someone in each race, including in districts like, um, you know, Lee County or uh, Cuyahoga County, which are traditionally very uh, Republican-leaning. And, you know, you, you know, jokes about how there's only five Democrats in Naples kind of thing. But, uh, well, we'll see how it goes. Well, that's very interesting. So uh, is, what is the practice? Is there a tradition of people filing in the last day? It, w- yeah, there's, well, the last, uh, I'd say the last 10 days, we've seen uh, filings by a lot of new people to run for the seat. Now, the the issue being, in this uh, COVID uh, climate, it has been very difficult to get petitions for people to qualify. And mm. how that works is that if you get the requisite number of petitions, you don't have to pay the filing fee. And... Uh, from what I can gather, not it was it was difficult to get petitions filed, and those the ones I mean signed, those that did get enough petitions started like a year and a half ago. So you know they had been getting them all along. So all the new people that just uh, threw their name in the the ring, with their hat in the ring, uh, are not going to be able to qualify by petitions so to pay the fee, and it has to be paid out of um, campaign accounts. So if somebody's just uh, deciding to run just for the, you know, the annoyance that <laughs> so that nobody's unopposed, um, they're going to have to come up with, with significant dollars. Yeah, interesting. Well, of course, they can make the campaign contribution themselves, I guess. That would be an unlimited contribution. Is a filing fee, I think, is it $5,000? Well, it depends. It's, it's based on, I, mean, I, I, I think, the, uh, the legislature is around 1200 but the constitutional officers are, are, are about, I think you're right, I think about five. So interesting. Um, so that's significant failures. And if, if you don't believe you can win, unless you have, uh, you know, have a pocketbook that you want to throw away, or you have contributions from, you know, there's a lot of money coming into the state uh, that's going to be uh, funneled to uh, some of the, um, the, the state candidates. Uh, that are going to be part of sort of a push uh, for the for the uh, presidential. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's so interesting. So uh, how, how is it shaping up? Are, are you pleased with what you're seeing with the candidates that are choosing to run? Of course, Byron Donalds is stepping out of his position. He's going to be uh, running for U.S. Congress. So there's going to be some vacancies. Right. There's a few not, there's not incumbents in some of these uh, races. What are you seeing? Well, in, in the House races, uh, uh I've endorsed Lynn Mello, who's running for Byron Donald's seat. She's a realtor. Uh, I think she's uh, currently president of the uh, Naples Area Board of Realtors. Very hardworking, very impressive. I, um, uh, during this COVID crisis, as part of uh, actually being with Nabor, she's been doing a lot of uh, food drives and, and, you know, things that are very helpful to the community, very uh, no nonsense, hard charging. I, you know, I think she'll do a good job. Um, Byron, D- I mean, uh, Bob Rommel has the same Democrat opponent that he had the last uh, go around. So I think he's okay. County will be is interesting because most of their legislative delegation is term limited out. Hmm. So they're going to have a whole group of uh, uh, new members in both the House. And, of course, the Senate, Elizabeth Denacrista, who's my colleague, is term-limited out. And uh, Ray Rodriguez, who's in the House now, is running for that seat, and I'm supporting him. So 
going to be a busy election season, but different because nobody knows. Uh, and we've never done this before, where there's not an in-person campaign. Right. So, out of curiosity, you, you cannot have a run a digital petition. You can't have people sign up on, online. You have to actually go and get a physical signature for, for to. Uh... That that's right, and that is uh, that's interesting. In fact, we've actually um, uh, we're we're trying to be very careful on petitions because you know they have to be. Uh, you know, voter in the district and the, and the supervisors of elections have to uh, confirm them, like just like they do ballots, mm-hmm. so that there's no no uh, issue with uh, people forging petitions or, or whatever. And and that's just to get on the ballot. I think the biggest concern is uh, the actual vote, and uh, you know how that's going to work. Out. All right. So I, you know, there's. No, I was going to say the uh, the I believe the primaries are in August. Yes. So that's going to be a big day, and if the Democrats are running a candidate, we usually you know if you if uh, especially here in Collier County, whoever wins the Republican nomination is pretty much got a shoe in for the office. So, but right, uh, and that's true with Lee uh, and in the Panhandle, but that's not true for the rest of the state. So there's going to be some big battles. We have a Senate in Miami, currently held by Senator Flores, Republican, and that district is trending blue, and uh, so we're working very hard to elect Anna Maria Rodriguez, who uh, at this point uh, is, she also represents uh, part of Collier County, so people do know her from locally, so I'm telling everybody, even though they can't vote for her, because the Senate district is, is a little bit further east, to uh, help her out financially. Yeah, it's kind of strange that this the gerrymandering here. I, if I'm not mistaken, they they pick up a little bit of uh, of uh, Ava Maria in that area and, and Immokalee, and then it goes all the way over to Miami. Well, the Immokalee is in uh, District 80, uh, Byron Donald's uh, seat. Uh-huh. He represents only of Hendry and the rural areas of Collier, but <laughs> excuse me, Anna Maria Rodriguez's seat is the southern half of Collier, um, and it, it includes Golden Gate, and uh, heads, heads east to Miami. Bob Rommel's district is the coastal area. Um, now, my district, the Santa Cruz figure, which represents 500,000 people, is all of, Hen- all of Hendry, all of Collier, and... Uh, part of Lee. Uh, big, big area. Again, Kathleen Pasadena, our state senator. I genuinely appreciate uh, your update here on the elections. It should be a great election season. Uh, the CNN polls came out and said that uh, <laughs> Joe Biden, <laughs> Biden is 14% ahead or something like that. Boy, I tell you, the, and, and the polling is just absolutely ridiculous. They'll do anything, it appears, to uh, to try and make well, things look good. It's all over the place, and, and it, you know, it's a question of what they ask, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, well, Kathleen, keep the uh, faith, and thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And it's happening right now. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donald. She's the founder and president of Optima Education Foundation. Right now, we have with us Boo Mortensen in Madison, Wisconsin. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo, welcome to the show. Well, I'll tell you, it's a pleasure to be here. And I, it's, it's so fascinating to hear what people are going through uh, in regards to the virus. And then, of course, all these demonstrations in different cities. And Madison has been, you know, such a liberal community that we are now in day, it's, I think it's day nine mm. of demonstrating. And it's not violent. Well, the first couple of days were where there was a lot of uh, property damage. But it's now it's just a lot of demonstrations. But honest to God, I'm just tired of it. Don't people have uh, demonstration fatigue? Well, you know, uh, here's the th- uh, one uh, person opined, and I think there's something to this, that people are out of work. Uh, basically, just <laughs> if, they, if somebody had to go to work, they probably would be out demonstrating. So we've got this confluence of events where people have time on their hands. They're sick and tired of being locked up. And, uh, you know, so, you know, maybe they want to go out. There's nothing wrong with peaceful, peaceful protests. I'm all for it. But, you know, it's the violence that's uh, so uh, offsetting. I agree. I think that the last five nights, it's been very peaceful. It's Good. just been demonstrating or gathering or memorializing. They, they're done with all the damage, but they did a fair amount of damage. I will tell you that... You know, State Street is the main street between downtown and the University of Wisconsin campus. And there are lots and lots. It's filled. It's about a mile long. And it's filled with little shops and little restaurants and coffee shops and uh, hamburger places, you know, like you'd find on a normal campus. And without exception, every single business down State Street and all of downtown Madison is boarded up. It's all boarded up. That's so sad. And it's, it's, it's just bizarre. And so a lot of artists came down and colored and drew and painted on all the boards that are covering up the businesses. So it's actually fascinating to go down and see mm-hmm. a lot of the artwork. But that doesn't hide the fact that 50% of these businesses on State Street will never be able to reopen again yeah, that's so because sad. of the vandalism. And, and, you know, and just leaving blighted areas, I wonder if, if Minnesota will ever, uh, Minneapolis is ever going to return to where it was. Uh, because it's well, it a, sounds like they're not even going to have a police department. No, <laughs> it's good. It's, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. It's kind of a circular firing, firing squad uh, it, It's happening in yeah. Minnesota. So uh, there, there, was there a lot of violence uh, in, in uh, Madison? They, they had a lot of police. They had a lot of riot police. They called the Air National Guard. Hmm. They came, I mean, they came in strong. They tear-gassed people. They didn't use r- rubber bullets, but they did tear gas. And it was a really big show of force. Uh, they used drones. You know, I'm on the 12th floor, so I could see the, 
drones flying above the crowds, hmm. you know, probably to recognize the troublemakers. But, yeah, there were about three or four nights where there was confrontational uh, encounters with the police. But then it just kind of, as of about Sunday, it just kind of died, died down. Um, it, now, this is, and now, so you have that with the coronavirus and businesses finally being able to open restaurants, gyms, that sort of thing in the downtown area. Now people are afraid to come down here. Yeah, there's going to be some self-quarantining, uh, and I think that's going to continue. I was out to dinner the other night, and uh, it was str- so strange to see a woman walk into a restaurant with a mask on. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's uh, I think that a lot of people are still really uh, uh, caught up in a lot of fear. Yeah, I'm going to call it irrational fear. I think you're right. I think that they, uh, some, maybe it's the longer that you spend indoors in lockdown, mm-hmm. the harder it is to get out. You yeah. become more fearful. Uh, if I if said, okay, let's go out to dinner, um, I'll, I, in Madison, I think there are only about four or five restaurants that are open. Wow. And it's, it's uh, the, listen, this whole thing is strange. I mean, nothing makes sense anymore. But I have to tell you, it's interesting that during all of this, you pick up a certain lingo mm-hmm. that goes with the event. So uh, linguists put together new words that have never been used before. Where uh, now, obviously, COVID nineteen is the new word. Mm-hmm. Self isolation, mm-hmm. social distancing. When was the last time you used the word social distancing? <laughs> Just... Or shelter in place? Yeah, it's uh, pretty weird. Uh, it is infodemic, asymptomatic, hydrochloroquine, frontline. Frontline is a military term, mm-hmm. actually, that was uh, first used in 1677. Now we use they're on the front lines. It's all, uh, it all has to do with this pandemic. And then the last words that I think are strange, it's called doom scrolling. Doom and scrolling. Are, doom scrolling or doom surfing, and it means you're spending an inordinate amount of time on your devices pouring over grim news. Is there any other kind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, isn't all news lately grim? It is pretty grim, isn't it? Uh, all well, the... And that people are sort of addicted to, well, what's going on here? Where are demonstrations in Europe? Where is the coronavirus popping up again? Yep. Um, and they can't seem to help themselves. So a little uh, good news is uh, apparently in Minneapolis uh, there's actually been a diminishing of uh, the uh, uh, infections from coronavirus after the riots went on. So uh, that's apparent. it could be just something good that's come out of this. is a Petri dish of all this social interaction, and they're certainly not socially distancing there. Uh, the the uh, officials say they're going to need a few more days to see if it's, if it's really true. In other words, it may be a delayed reaction, but uh, that, that would be very encouraging. Another thing is the president's now planning to hit the road in the next couple of weeks to resume his Make America Great Again campaign rallies. Which is, uh, you know, it's it, and how about sports? Wouldn't it be great to see sports open up? You know, I think that that would be, and I'm not a sports fanatic by any means, mm-hmm. but I think that that's added to kind of the craziness. I think if they started televising, I don't care if it's golf or soccer or baseball, you know, we give people's attention, it would direct people's attention to something in more positive fashion. Yes, I think it would be so healthy. Isn't golf opening? Isn't there going to be a uh, golf tournament in the next couple of weeks? I think that's right. And yet, uh, Roger Goodell made some comment about we didn't handle the kneeling situation right back in the day. And uh, I, you know, here we go with the politics and football again. I, it diminished my enthusiasm for football up until about the playoffs last year. And uh, I'm afraid mm-hmm. it's going to do the same thing again. Let's just keep politics. Let's make it apolitical so we can all enjoy our favorite sports without having to have somebody else's opinion who basically <laughs> doesn't have the education to have an informed opinion anyhow. Uh, make no, comments. but it's brought forth by a lot of, uh, a lot of black athletes. Yeah. And 
I, I'm not sure that they're going to uh, change course. I think that they're going to hold fast to and uh, keep Goodell um, accountable for it. Yeah, well, uh, it's not going to help ratings. It's even, gonna... even though they're making $34 million. I know, I know, Boo. So interesting. Well, listen, it's, I never know what we're going to talk about, but it's always fun to have the conversation, Boo. I genuinely... See, compre- we got new words, so go back and start doom scrolling. I'm going <laughs> to... Okay, I'm going to continue my doom scrolling with Boo. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> my pleasure. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Hey, a little shout-out to uh, Lulubee's Diner, located in Green Tree Shopping Center. A great uh, lunch and breakfast that you can get there. And they do a great job of supporting St. Matthew's House uh, and their businesses. And I hope you'll support St. Matthew's House as well. Coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donald. She is the founder and president of uh, Optima Education Foundation. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Less government, I mean, it sounds like we're going to ha- have to do with less police forces around the United States. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. You know, and then, and then they asked the, the head of the Minneapolis City Council, what if someone could, when someone calls and says they're being robbed, who, who do they talk to? Oh, that, that, that's, a, that's a white privilege question. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? God. And, uh, you know, this is a problem because Republicans aren't co- coming forward, especially national Republicans, coming forward and saying, this is all very, very stupid, and we oppose this. They're not. They're too, they're too afraid because it's race. Well, you know, uh, Barr made some great comments with the Brett Bear show yesterday. I was so pleased to hear. It was reassuring to me. I, but he's not elected. Yeah, I know. I know. This is why the poll numbers are falling. It's because the only, the only party showing any conviction, no matter how stupid it is, is the Democrats. Yeah. Interesting comment. Hey, so you made uh, you, uh, another column about the net neutrality, the censoring left. New- neutrality for thee, not for me. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, this has been a problem with net neutrality for a long time. Of course, all the big tech companies, uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Apple, you name them, have always been in favor of net neutrality. But 
Net neutrality, of course, for Internet service providers, Mm -hmm. uh, the Comcast, the people that get you to the Internet, not Mm -hmm. the people that you do stuff with once you're on the Internet, but the people who get you to the Internet, Comcast, uh, Charter, AT&T, Verizon, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The problem is um, they, they don't want net neutrality for themselves, and what they do is much more dishonest in violation of net neutrality than what uh, Internet service providers do. The, the, the big story last week was AT&T is offering HBO Go, which, of course, is HBO's mobile product, with no data ca- It doesn't count against your data cap. Why is Apple doing that? I mean, AT&T doing that? Because they own HBO Go. So they're offering unlimited access to that service in the hopes of getting more people to buy that service, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Right. I mean, the example I used in, in um, I mean, that's a net neutrality violation, by the way. You can't do that, which, of course, is anti antithetical to everything we know e- economics. Um, would anyone be surprised if Virgin Airlines offer discounts to Virgin Hotels once you get somewhere? No, no. of course not. Yeah. Should we outlaw that practice? No. But somehow on the Internet we're supposed to pretend economics doesn't exist and we we can outlaw it. Well, here's the thing, though. That's a very overt, honest, above-board way of saying, hey, we own both of these. We'll give you unlimited access to one in the hopes you buy the other. Mm -hmm. You know, know, we'll give you unlimited access to the other in the hopes you buy that, too. Right. Well, what Google does, for example, Google controls... 91.5% of web searches in the United States are Google searches. Mm -hmm. They obviously monopolize web search. And they, they, they don't give you, when you search for something, they don't give you an unfettered, un, unaltered look at what's going on at the Internet. No, they have, they have customers who auction for keywords and, and do other things to shake the results you get. Right. First of all, Google owns a bunch of companies, and guess what the first results are? Their companies. When you search for something that they own, right. their results, their companies. They do it. Why? You know, what, you know that's, that's a net neutrality violation. Plus, the, the, the first results after that are the advertisers, the people who bought. So it may not be the best result for your search, from your perspective, but it's the best and most profitable result from Google's perspective. Right. And these are all net neutrality violations, but somehow net neutrality is only supposed to apply to Internet service providers and, and not the, ed, the, 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 the term. And the, the, the term of art is edge providers. Google's an edge provider. Facebook is an edge provider. Yeah. And, and so they do this all the time. And, of course, it's, it's, they, don't, they don't announce that, do they? I no. mean, obviously, AT&T is very obvious. We own HBO Go. We'd like you to purchase HBO Go. So here's our deal. Uh, does Google say at the top of their search results, hey, we've warped these to, to favor our own companies and our best, most high-paid advertisers? Do they say that? And that's a no. great point. That's a great point. And, no. and, and of course, this, the, the other violations that are so insidious as well, for example, the, uh, our privacy and all the other issues that uh, Google. So what, well, I, thought, I thought net neutrality was dead. Well, it is. But, but see, we play this game. It's kind of like what we're seeing with Black Lives Matter. Yes, the stupid phrase Black Lives Matter is true. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, just like everyone else's lives matter. Uh-huh. The group, the organization Black Lives Matter, is a terrorist organization, and we shouldn't support that. Well, net neutrality in theory, everybody says, oh, I support that. The, 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 um, all the Internet service providers, oh, we support the principles of net neutrality. We're not going to, you know, eight, you know uh, uh, Comcast and NBC own each other. I forget who bought whom. But the, 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 the fear was, when that purchase happened, they'll block you from going to ABC and CBS because they want you to go to NBC. Well, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They, do, they never have. Um, by the way, Google does. Google blocks you from you know, certain uh, companies if, it's, if, if they're competitors to their companies. Right. Um, Google also, of course, does ideological blocking. But the, but the theory of net neutrality, which is you won't slow down any sites because they're not yours, you won't block any sites because they're not yours. Everyone says, 
oh, yes, that's good. So the, 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 the phrase net neutrality is okay. When we run into problems is when they start trying to actually regulate the, the, the concept. Right. Because then you get into way too much government, way too much top-down government-centric regulation of the Internet, and then you have all kinds of huge problems. Yeah. So that's what we're dealing with here is, you know, the, the, the concept is a, is a loose principle of not, you know, shutting down the Internet to everyone but what you want them to see, which is what Google does, by the way, yeah. um, and not, but, but not have, you know, wall-to-wall regulations like Obama imposed in 2015 with his Title II reclassification. Well, I must say, I like the Internet just the way it is. There's things I don't like. I have, you know, all these emails that I receive telling me to click here so I can update, uh, won't lose my Internet service and all this. So, you, you know, there's a lot of fraud stuff that's trying to, that are be, that's being perpetrated. I'd like to see that stuff go away, but uh, I don't want the government to get involved. I like well, the, it. The, the, the cost of that going away is too high from our perspective. It's too, there's too much government required you know, that's, you're bringing in a howitzer to kill a gnat yeah. with, that, with, those, with those emails you don't like. You exactly. I definitely do understand that. So I'm willing to tolerate and put up with uh, the inconvenience of that as lo- and the spam and the other things that go on as long as we just don't have government interference in the entire process, which will bog it down and it'll make it w- the Internet like uh, walking around in saltwater taffy. That's exactly right. Yes, we'll be frozen in amber for all time. Yes. (laughs) Seat Modley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. Visit lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donalds. She's a former uh, Cuyahoga County School Board member. She's the founder and president of a new organization. Well, it's not new. It's a couple years old. It's the Optima Education uh, foundation and dedicated to uh, creating charter schools across the state of Florida. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part 
by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Erica Donalds, a person I greatly admire. She is a former Cuyahoga County School Board member. She has founded an organization called the Optima Education Foundation. I proudly serve on the board, by the way, and uh, dedicated to creating charter schools around the state of Florida. Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about the Optima Education Foundation. Well, I founded Optima back in 2017 when I had a lot of people from around the state when I was serving on the school board who wanted help starting charter schools and specifically Hillsdale Classical Charter Schools in their communities. Uh, So I did it to kind of help people along since I had experience in that area but it has certainly evolved into uh, more of a charter management organization. And what that is is uh, an organization, and ours is a nonprofit, that basically runs the business side of charter schools. We work in partnership with Hillsdale College, uh, Barney Charter School Initiative, who provides the academic support to the schools. And with my background and experience as a CPA and as a CFO and, and chief compliance officer in the investment industry, we handle all of the, the building, the facility, the financing, the budgets, the compliance. Um, and we do that as professionals in those areas so that the academic professionals in the schools can really focus on the needs of the children and their families. Yeah, it just sounds terrific. So, uh, and this also creates school choice for a lot of families across the, uh, across the state of Florida. So uh, a- any schools opening anytime soon? Yes, actually, we had our first year at Treasure Coast Classical Academy in Stewart this year. Uh, not, not the type of year we wanted to end on with the COVID, but we still had a very successful opening with that school, 600 students, and we've got 1,300 applications for next year. Wow. So very exciting. This coming fall in August, we're opening Jacksonville Classical Academy right there in downtown Jacksonville. It's going to serve a very diverse population of students with a classical model of education. And then in 2021, just uh, about a year from now, we're opening Naples Classical Academy in North Naples area of Collier County. Very exciting indeed. And, and uh, could you comment at all about the results and how kids perform in, cla- in these uh, classical academy schools versus, let's say, the current uh, typical public schools? Absolutely. We have tremendous results coming out of the Barney Charter School Initiative schools. Uh, 94% of these students are going off to four-year college or university. Uh, So when you're talking about where do these kids end up, they have the opportunity to go to uh, a great school at the end of their their 12 years. Most importantly, though, they achieve a well-rounded, high-quality liberal arts education. And we do see the results of that when you compare test scores to Uh, the traditional public schools, especially in the area of these high-need students. When you're talking about students that are on free and reduced lunch, our students on free and reduced lunch in BCSI schools in Florida outperform the Florida average on math and reading. Now, we don't live or die by test scores. We do our curriculum. We think it's a high-quality curriculum. However, when you do look at those as a measurement, those test scores, Absolutely, these students are outperforming because of the high-quality phonics, grammar, uh, and literature and history programs that we're offering. Plus, offering school choice, and as I understand it, it's uh, it, everybody qualifies to, to to apply for the school, regardless of economic status or geographic location, whatever it might be. That's right, and that's really my passion, Bob. That parents and families would have multiple high-quality education options for their students, and not the type of school choice necessarily that is doing the same thing as the traditional public schools, but also in this uh, area, the classical education model, that parents would have an option that is completely different from what they're being offered right now. Uh, We're not using a lot of technology in the schools. In fact, the students are taking notes on paper with pencils. They're learning how to outline. They're learning how to diagram sentences. They're reading full novels and having Socratic discussion. It really is a, a very rich, uh, knowledge-rich, actually, classical model of a traditional model of education. And our parents, we just did our first parent survey from Treasure Coast Classical Academy, and we had tremendous feedback uh, and 90% positive uh, results that they would recommend our school 
to their friends. Uh, so it's a really great experience for these families as well. Yeah, it's just ter- terrific. The work that you're doing is just so fantastic, I think. And uh, again, providing just uh, really important services, governance for the uh, school so they can focus on the education. I'm going to give the, uh, the website is OptimaEd.org. OptimaEd.org. I just encourage our listeners to uh, check it out. Now, we've been in some very unusual circumstances when it comes to kids' education. I know you've got some uh, youngsters in your home. And I was wondering if you could comment on the impact of education and what's happened as a result of uh, this COVID-19 shutdown? What I've observed, Bob, both with my children, with the children that we're serving in our charter schools, and then my neighbors and friends whose children go to various types of schools, charter, public, private, is the disparity in services over this quarantine. Some districts, some schools are just giving parents a bunch of links and saying, have at it, mm-hmm. and, and leaving parents on their own to lesson plan, to plan things out day to day. You know, most of the country, based on their survey results, is doing that. Collier County did not do that, at least in my experience. They, they did a little bit more guidance, but they did not do live instruction. So the other end of the spectrum is all day live instruction from teachers. Classes are on Zoom. And these, these students didn't miss a beat because they were sitting right in front of their teacher every day receiving live instruction. Wow. Those two ends of the spectrum and everything in between is what we've been seeing during this quarantine. The result of that is going to be a huge disparity in student achievement over those few months. Some students will have made zero progress. In fact, will have fallen backward. Yep. And some students will have not missed a beat, like I said, because those schools were keeping up with the curriculum in a virtual environment, and they were dedicated to making sure that those students did not fall behind. It's not a matter of resources, but it was a matter of attitude towards the importance of keeping these students moving forward on um, the part of the administration, the leadership, and the teachers in these various schools and districts. Uh, that's great feedback and information, uh, Erica. Do you think there's going to be a, a move towards homeschooling? or you, what, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on school choice going forward? Oh, I think that this changes the face of education forever, Bob. In mm-hmm. fact, a national survey just found that 40% of parents say that they are more likely to choose homeschooling in the future. And I've heard this anecdotally from parents in our school who say, you know, I never thought about homeschooling, but if I had these resources that you've been providing for me the last couple of months, I'd really like to have my student at home and have the flexibility of homeschooling. Hmm. Others who may have homeschooled before and gave up on it would like to see uh, a hybrid model where they are given the resources by a school, perhaps a charter school or a public school, and they're able to continue distance learning the way that we've been doing it. And then there's some, even in my own household, where my children, I have three different kids, two of them really thrive. One of them says, I can't wait to get back into the classroom. They don't want to do distance learning. But I think that families' eyes are open to this possibility now. Mm -hmm. And I think companies are going to have the pressure of allowing people to work from home because it has been working for them over these couple of months, which will also open the door for the ability of students to be able to not necessarily be homeschooled where their their parent is the instructor, but school at home with the online resources that we could provide as a charter school or as a virtual school. Uh, so that's so interesting. And I would imagine that parents are so, somewhat shocked in some cases about the content of the learning and, and what they're learning in school. Or lack of content, Bob. Right. That's really <laughs> what a lot of parents are seeing is that what are they learning? Mm-hmm. What I've heard from parents, of course, not in our school. Our school, uh, the classical model and the Hillsdale model that we've been feeding these parents, they are even more impressed now that they're seeing it day to day, all day long, what their student is learning. However, in many of the traditional public schools, parents are shocked at the lack of content, at the lack of rigor that these uh, schools are putting out to the students on a daily basis. And we're seeing parents... I believe, are going to rise up and say, this is not acceptable quality for my student, and they're going to be looking for other options, whether it's homeschool or charter school or private school. 
And we in Florida are in a perfect position to offer those parents more options as we move forward. Oh, absolutely. And of course, the governor's committed to getting rid of Common Core and, and making uh, advancements with public education. So it's almost a confluence of events, uh, the wonderful work that you're doing through Optum Education Foundation and, uh, you know, giving, creating more school choice and creating better education for our kids. It is exciting work, Bob. I'm very honored and blessed to be doing it. I want to thank you for serving on the board of our foundation and your commitment to students and families. Really, the future of our country is at stake, Bob. We're seeing with these rioters, these young people that are out there yelling in the faces of our military members and defacing the Lincoln Memorial in a fight against uh you know, racism. Yeah. Uh, they don't know the history of our country. They don't know and appreciate the blessings of liberty and what our nation was founded on. They have no respect for the authority and the sacrifice of our military and our law enforcement officers. And that's a major part of the Hillsdale classical curriculum, yeah. American exceptionalism, knowing our history and appreciating the foundation of this wonderful, amazing country. Well, you know, that's a wonderful note one to end the show today, Erica. Again, Erica Donalds, president and founder of the Optima Education Foundation. I hope you'll check out the website, OptimaEd.org, OptimaEd.org. Erica, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We have some great guests lined up. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.